you probably figured it out by now. I really love Christmas. <laughs> I love the Christmas season. I always have. It's always been my favorite time of year as a kid. Um, other than like when my birthday was. I always kind of liked that as well growing up. But I always love Christmas, right? And I don't know, maybe it was the presents or maybe it was being with family or I, I don't know what it is. But as an adult and as a believer, I go, wow, I really love this time because it's really an opportunity to get refocused in some ways on who Christ is and what he's done. And so I don't know whether you love Christmas or you hate Christmas. Regardless of that, we've got to recognize that we live in a really difficult time. And there's a lot of really hard things going on in the world around us. There's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of tragedy. It's like every week I can't even watch the news because there's so much tragedy and there's so much hard stuff. And then we get, and it rolls into our lives and the things that are hard in our lives. And there's all kinds of opposition to our faith and our way of life and all kinds of things. There's all sorts of hatred out there. And I go, oh, I'm so overwhelmed with how sad things are. And I can get really sad, and I can get really frustrated, and I can get really hurt. And I don't know about you, but I get to this time of year and I go, Oh, Christmas. It's supposed to be a time of joy. But where's the joy? Where's the joy in the midst of all of this hard stuff? And I actually think that God has given us this Christmas story as a way to remind us of joy. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this month. Joy is not really found in the presence. It's not found in shopping, I mean, which is good because I hate shopping. <laughs> There's no joy there for me. It's not, the joy isn't even found in, you know, saying peace on earth to each other. That's not where it is. Joy is found in Christ and there is a picture of true joy in the Christmas story. And we're going to be unwrapping that here in the next few weeks. And today, we're going to see where joy comes from. We're going to see how we can experience joy. And so, that's my hope, is in the midst of all the challenges and all the sadness and all the hardships, and it's been a really hard year for a number of people, I want us to find joy. I want us to find joy together and be reminded of how to be joyful. So today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, as it says on the screen there. We're going to start in verse 26. We're going to go to verse 55. We'll do that in a few, in a few segments here. The key player in this story is Mary. Mary. We go, oh, Mary, she's the mother of Jesus, right? Yeah, I may not have any experience in church, but I, oh yeah, Mary's the mother of Jesus, right? Mary's the mother of Jesus. And what's really important about that, I think, is that she's the first person first person of all the people Jesus connected with when he was alive, of all the people Jesus is connected with after he's died, come back to life, gone up to heaven, and all the rest of us he's connected with. The very first person Jesus connected with is Mary. And that makes her special. Now some have maybe elevated Mary to a more special status than maybe she deserves because she is just an ordinary person. And we'll talk about that. And much of what we know about Mary is going to be right here in this passage. This is about the extent of what we know about Mary. So I hope we can find some joy as we look at this passage. So we'll go ahead. We're going to go through, look at four ways, okay, looking at this story, that we can have joy and be joyful. So we'll start. The first one is that we can be joyful because God is at work in both the seen and the unseen realm. So I'll just read this passage here for you. You can follow along. It starts off there. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. 
And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, because Christmas comes around each year, maybe we get a little familiar with these passages, and so I'm going to try to get into these things a little bit deeper. And the first thing, as I was reading this passage, the first thing that strikes me is right there in the first line, the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel. What this passage tells us is, there are angels. Right? There are angels. Hey, these angels, they're not just sort of something that's like a figment of imagination. Here it is. There's one shows up, and he has a name. And he's communicating. And clearly the angels are active and working on behalf of God. And I think that's significant because we really live in a culture. This Western culture very specifically wants to sort of shut the door on the supernatural, right? And say, nah, there's, it's not really there. Everything is really rational. Everything is really what I can see. Everything is really tangible. There is no unseen realm. It's all just right here. And yet we get into the story and the very first thing is, boom, the supernatural. An angel shows up. An angel shows up. Our culture just doesn't want to believe that. It's just like, yeah, our culture doesn't even really want to like, suggest that there's prayer. Even though I think in some ways the culture sort of understands that. That, oh, there's things like, do you ever hear that? Like, oh, somebody's sick or somebody's hurt. And they say, oh, I'm going to send good thoughts your way. And you go, well, even that seems like this rational thing, but it's kind of irrational because you're like, what, my thoughts are going to somehow change what's going on with you. We go, wow, it's even in that sort of, we shut the door, there's a realization, there's a supernatural realm. So we could look at this and say, wow, yeah, there really are angels. There really is this unseen realm, and God is in it, and he's at work in both the seen and the unseen. And so the story reminds us, right at the beginning, hey, God is at work there. God has angels. God is communicating to us. And we could say, you know what? We don't really exactly know how angels work. We don't really know all their ins and outs and how they work. And how is it like uh, this picture? We'll talk about this more next week of, hey, they showed up to the shepherds and then they disappeared. And how do we know how they move? We don't know how that works. But we know that they work on behalf of God. And God is at work. And they're one way that God is crossing over from that unseen realm into our seen realm. And so we should take joy knowing that God is at work that way. I love then also sort of the second thing is that the angel, he doesn't just sort of show up and, and do a dance or something. He, he speaks. And the first thing he says, he goes, greetings. Like he says, what's up? <laughs> How are you? Good to see you. He's talking, and I think it's a picture to us that God wants to communicate with us. He wants to be on a speaking level relationship with us. Think about that. God is unseen. He's the creator of the universe. He's got this whole other spiritual realm that we can't even see, and he wants to talk 
to you. That's really cool. Now, what is God's primary voice? God's primary voice to us, what is it? It's the Bible. It's Scripture. He's given us the 66 books of the Bible. And there's, if you haven't read them, I encourage you to read them. There is amazing power. There is truth. There is wisdom. There's all sorts of things to help us. And that's God's primary voice to us in this time. But again, I think this story reminds us that God is all-powerful, all and he's crossing from that unseen realm into the seen realm. And I believe, I believe he can speak to us in other ways. You go, oh, Greg, that's kind of that's heavy. Now, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I really believe the scripture is God's primary voice to us. It's his primary voice to us. I also think the scripture is the measuring stick by which we should judge any other thing we think is a communication from God to us. We measure it against that, and I think God would want us to do that. So, you might say, how can I know if God is speaking to me? How can I know if God is speaking to me? Maybe there's another person who said something to you, and you go, wow, I can't think that might be from the Lord. Or maybe there's some circumstances or some crazy things that are happening in your life. And you go, I don't even understand how that would come together if it wasn't from God. And maybe you say, man, I feel like I've even sort of heard a still small voice. Or I don't know, maybe you've said, I think I've encountered an angel some way. And you go, how do I know that that's God speaking to me or not? Well, the first thing that you do is you take it and you compare it to the scripture. And you go, well, is what was said, what I was communicated to me, is it consistent with the scripture? Is it valid according to the scripture? There's like entire religions that have been based on people who've said, ah, I've seen an angel, and the angel told me to throw away the scripture. <laughs> and you go, well, that probably wasn't from the Lord. Now, some will disagree with me, right? And some will say, no, no, no. God only speaks through the Scripture. He spoke in that way in that time, but the Scripture is here, and that's what we got, and there is no still small voice. There are no angels that are going to speak to you. That's it. And I go, okay, that's fine. That's one view. But my response would be, why does Scripture give us a model of God speaking in these ways, in this very story, if God can't still do that? God is all-powerful. We talked about that in our Romans series. I believe this is one way he is. So, all of that's maybe sort of a, a tangent, right? There's a whole other conversation we could have there about how God speaks to us and what that means. But, let's take it back to this story. And what I think is the most important thing is to recognize that God is involved in my life. God is involved in your life. God is speaking to you. And that is a God who is in an unseen realm and he's coming into the seen realm and speaking to you. That is cool. That is a joyful thing. That is a joyful thing. God is speaking to us. Are you listening? Are you listening? Second thing I think we can be joyful when we look at this passage is that God's love is not bounded by physical limitations. We'll continue on there in verse 34. The angel speaks and Mary responds. Mary said to the angel, How will this be? How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
I love that. This thing happens. The angel shows up and he says, Hey, you who are unmarried, you're going to conceive a son. And Mary's response, it's like any of us would ask, say, How's that going to work? <laughs> How will that be? How will this be? She says. It's a totally legitimate question. And I thought, should I get into the details of this? No, we're going to keep it PG today of how this is possible, right? It's not. It's not physically possible. We can't recreate what happens with Mary conceiving Jesus with all of the science that we have. There is an unassailable physical boundary. There's an unassailable physical boundary. So it's a great question. How will this be? How will this be? The angel says the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will. God is at work. God is at work. A human physical boundary? That can't stop God from working. How can this be? This thing I've come up against? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now remember, we've talked about this often, that God has expressed his maximum love to you. God's love for you is at the maximum level. He sends his son Christ, Jesus, to die in your place. He loves you at the maximum level, and God had ordained that he was going to do this. He had determined that he was going to express his love this way to us. And yet, here was this physical boundary. Here was this physical boundary. How are we going to overcome this physical boundary? Jesus had to come. God had determined that Jesus had to come. It was almost, you hear that irresistible force versus the immovable object. You're like, these two things, how are they going to... How's it going to work out? Well, the Holy Spirit, God... He's bigger than that human boundary, isn't he? God's maximum love could not be stopped by this unassailable physical boundary. Now something that comes to my mind when I think about this is, why? Why was Jesus born of a woman without a man? Have you ever asked that question? You go, well, why? Why? Well, here's four reasons I could think of. The first one is that it shows this was a supernatural event. Again, God from the unseen realm reaching into the seen realm. This proves God is at work. It also fulfilled a prophecy from centuries earlier that said this would happen. Second thing is it's a picture. It's a picture for us that within humanity we can't save ourselves. If we could just kind of get together and kind of figure it out, we could just save ourselves and that... It's true that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't get together on our own and save humanity. God had to step in. Third thing is it demonstrates God's will, not our will. In this thing, this physical boundary requires will in some way, shape, or form of human will. This demonstrates it's God's will. I think it's interesting that God comes to Mary through the Gabriel and he says, this is what I'm doing. He doesn't say, would you be up for this? He says, this is what I'm doing. God states his will. It's very clear. There's no human will. No involvement here. God is at work. The fourth thing is it shows that Jesus was both fully man and both fully God. Those are both crucial facts of who Jesus would go on to be and what he would do. I love that Gabriel says, nothing will be impossible with God. It's like we can take that to the bank. Nothing is impossible for God. And I think we all can say that, and that's sort of even a catchphrase sometimes. We go, wow, that's really awesome. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. 
But we also got to be really clear about what this does not mean. Does not mean that God is like Santa Claus, or God is like the bank that you can just go to and withdraw. Oh, nothing is impossible, right? I was thinking about this, and I think maybe this is a cultural thing, maybe it's Americans, maybe it's just our selfish nature, but if somebody came to us, an angel showed up to us and said, nothing, nothing is impossible for God, our response might be this. We might go, oh, nothing is impossible? Sweet. Give me blank. (laughs) Give me a car. Give me a job. Give me a million dollars. Give me a house. Give me peace on earth. I don't know. We'd say, hey, God, you're Santa Claus. Nothing is impossible. You're Santa Claus. But what does that demonstrate? It demonstrates a real heart of self-centeredness and cynicism. It's not a heart of joy, is it? Well, let's go back to our story. And the angel says, nothing will be impossible for God. And what is Mary's response? Well, sweet, hook me up. Nope, that's not what she says. She says, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you see the heart difference between those two responses? In the face of such great power, Mary doesn't make demands or say, I'm going to try to cash in. Instead, she responds with sacrifice, with service, and with humility, and with joy. Can you see the joy? I'm serving the Lord. Let it be. Let it be. And so what's your response to God's maximum love? God sent Christ to die for you. Are you joyful like Mary? I think you can be. Nothing is impossible for God. Move on in the passage. The third thing we're going to see is that we can be joyful because God gives a glimpse of his love through mothers. Goes on there. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Remember that one the angel talked about? When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with that Holy Spirit again. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And when we think about parenting, I can attest, I have six children, I can attest there is joy in being a father. A number of us can attest, yeah, there's joy in being an uncle, or being an aunt, or being a brother, or being a sister, or being a cousin. There's joy. There is joy to be found in all of those relationships. But I have observed in my own family, and in our church, I think there's more joy for moms and their relationship with their kids. And I think that's because maybe because God designed it with a physical connection between a mom and a child. And so, I don't know, maybe it's not right for me to say more joy. Maybe it's a unique joy. God has created a unique joy between a mom and a child. That connection is not accidental. If we go all the way back to Genesis chapters 1 through 4 and we see throughout those passages that God has created This special connection between moms and their children. And he's created this special connection, not just randomly, but because it reflects who God is. It reflects who God is, and he created that from the beginning. It wasn't an accident. 
And so we could ask the question, couldn't God have just come up with some other way to get Jesus into human form? Couldn't he be like, put him on a spaceship? And he like descended, you know, out of the clouds, you know, rock music playing or something. I don't know. Or he could have just spontaneously created him. But he didn't. He didn't. He chose to do it through a process he created that reflects characteristics of who he is. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying, I want to give this disclaimer, I'm not saying, oh, the best joy or the only joy is related is there for moms and their children. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's a unique joy. It is a special and unique reflection of him. It can't be the only joy because there's at least half of us who couldn't experience that joy. But it's a special and unique connection that God has made as a reflection of him and we all should take joy in knowing this. In knowing this. That God chose to run the path of salvation right through that special creation. (coughs) That is really cool. And that makes me excited and that can give me joy. Let's go on to the last point here. We can be joyful because God is at work doing great things in our lives. So we finish the passage. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now this passage is a song. Everyone sort of recognizes this is a song and in certain traditions it's called the Magnificat, which I think is Latin. That means magnifies. That first line, my soul magnifies the Lord. And some again have used this to sort of elevate Mary to this position of special importance. And um, although she is significant, we would find it to be kind of ironic that we would exalt her to some position and yet this whole song is about how she's kind of just an ordinary person and a humble person and God has showed up and it's all the glory is due to God and not to her. And that's what I think the main point of Mary's song is that the mighty God, the mighty God is at work in the life of an ordinary simple person. And if he's at work in the ordinary life of Mary then he's at work in my ordinary life as well. Put up this picture of a galaxy. I don't even know what this is, but it's really cool. Do you ever go out and look at the stars? It's almost kind of terrifying to me. I realize exactly how tiny I am. And I look at a picture like this, or I go out and look at the night sky. I go, wow, I am tiny. And I think most of us understand that intuitively. Just about a week ago, I was, I don't know, I was at Home Depot or Walmart or something, and I was walking out to my car. You're walking out to the car, and other people are walking in, and I heard these two ladies having this conversation as they went by me, and I don't know who they were or what their faith values are, but one of them said to the other, we are just so small. Our lives are just a blip. They're nothing. 
that's what I overheard as I was walking to my car. And I was like, truth. <laughs> that's the truth. Because I look at this and I go, yeah, I am nothing. I am ordinary. And yet God is at work in my life. And God is at work in your life. Wow. It's amazing. You go, oh, okay. How do I know that God is at work in my life, Greg? Right? I have that question. How do I know that God is working in my life? Well, that's a good question. For some of you, I don't know if it's just your disposition or your situation in life or what's going on, but you go, yeah. If I asked you this question, you'd go, yeah. He did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and then there was this thing, and this thing, and like two hours later, I'd be like, okay, God is at work in your life. God is at work in your life. But for some of us, it's not so easy. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. There's so much sorrow and there's so much inadequacy and there's so many challenges in our life and it leads us into dark places of depression and anxiety and it's hard. The battle is real and it's going to roll into our lives and in our church so much and sometimes I find myself in that battle more than I want to admit. For those who are in this battle, it can be very difficult. It can be very difficult to answer this question. And say, yeah, God's at work this way and this way and this way. It's like, ah, this is really hard. So when you want to know that God is at work, we can start with a couple of verses that maybe can help us out. Philippians 1.6, Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will, be, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You can take that to the bank, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you're struggling with, regardless of how sad or difficult or horrible the world seems to you. God is at work in you, and he's faithful. He's going to bring it to completion. Second verse there, 1 Corinthians 12, 18. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Do you get that? The body means... The body of Christ. It means the group of us who are the church, who are believers. He didn't just sort of throw us out like sand and go, there. no, he took each one of us and put us right where he wants us to be, doing exactly the things he wants us to do, learning the things he wants us to learn. God is at work in your life and in my life. It's a bunch of ordinary people, and he's at work. See, when we can't see God's hand at work in us, then maybe there's some things going on and we just need to shift our perspective. First thing is I think sometimes we forget to see what God has done in the past. We forget to see what he's done for us in the past. We can get so caught up in how we're feeling or what we're struggling with or what the battles or the obstacles that we forget what God has done in the past. And so I thought, well, there's some questions we can ask of ourselves to try to remember to help us recall what he's done. You could ask some of these questions. What have I been rescued from? If you're struggling, you might think about the past. Say, what have I been rescued from? What has God rescued me from? What one little decision did he help me make this way that if he hadn't done that, I would have ended up in utter destruction? What damage or harm has been avoided? Sometimes we can think about other people and say, wow, there are other people who have brought blessing into my life. Think about those people. Guess who put those people in your life? God did. Second thing is we can fail to see what God is doing right now. Right in the moment, we're just so caught up in all the things we go, I can't see what he's doing right now. Well, here's some questions we can ask. 
Think back, what was the highlight of your week? What was the highlight of your month? I know there's something there. God was at work in your life. What prayers has God answered recently? What prayers has God answered recently? Most all of us could say, well, he answered that and he answered that. We talked about the past, we talked about the present, of course, the future. We assume sometimes that he's not bringing us future good, which isn't true. He is bringing us future good. That's what those verses tell us. Some questions we can ask is, <laughs> am I even praying about this challenge or obstacle? This thing, these challenges, stuff in my life, am I praying about it or not? And then think about other people and say, wow, I see other people maybe have walked through that or similar things, and I see how God has worked in those people. If he's working in those people, I know he's working in my life. So let's go back to Mary's song here. Back to these verses. And you think about this song, it really is a song of joy, isn't it? A song of joy. Wow, look, here's the mighty God and he's at work. He is at work. This song springs from joy in Mary's heart. Why? It's not because things were so good. It's not because things were so good. Think about what God just promised. God just said, oh yeah, you're going to have a baby out of wedlock. That doesn't sound good. This is going to be really challenging. Oh, he's going to be God. We, we learn later on, he's like, yeah, he's going to go off and die for his people. This is going to be really hard stuff. It's not like, oh, it's all, all roses and candy canes. It's, this is challenging stuff. And yet, in the midst of that, her response is a song of joy. Why? Because it says it right there. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary chose to sing praise. She chose to worship God with joy because of the good work he was doing in her life. Because of the good work he was doing in her life. And so, as we close today, I'll ask you this. Today and this month, will you have joy? Think about these things. Will you see God at work? He is at work in your life. Will you see it? If you see it, you'll have joy. If you see it, you'll have joy. And that's my encouragement to you is praise God because of the good he's doing in your life. I'll pray and we'll close. God, thank you that you're at work in our lives. God, we know you're at work in our lives because if we open our eyes and we take a look, we see that you're at work. But we also see from your scripture that you promise us you're at work. God, it amazes me. You are so big and so mighty and so powerful and you created the universe and those galaxies we saw on the screen and it's all so big and I'm so tiny and so ordinary. And yet you say, you've begun a good work in me and you're going to be faithful to complete it. God, that's true for each one of us, regardless of where we're at on the faith journey. Lord, help us this week, this month, as things can be so challenging sometimes in December as we walk through all of the, wade through all of the stuff going on. Help us to recognize that. Help us to find joy. Help us to remember what Mary went through and as she sat there and experienced these revelations from you. Help us to remember, God, that you are in the great unseen realm and you're reaching out to us and loving us. Help us to be joyful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.